For RCRTV, I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to HetNet Happenings, where we take a look at all things DAS, Wi-Fi, small cell, and much more. Right. Well, welcome back to HeadNet Happenings. We've got a great show for you today that really is going to delve into an area that up until this point in the series, we've kind of overlooked, but is still very much a part of the heterogeneous network ecosystem. So I'd like to introduce our guest today from Nextivity. We're joined by CEO Werner Sievers and by the Chief Technology Officer, Mikkel Lauder. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, David. So as we get started, uh, and before we kind of dig into things, I was hoping you could provide us with just a high-level overview of Nextivity type of solutions that you offer and some of the work that you do. Absolutely. Nextivity ships hundreds of thousands of Cellfi uh, smart signal boosters all around the world to operators. Um, these operators ship these to residential and enterprise applications. And we currently ship to 12 of the top 20 operators in the world. So it gives one a sense of, you know, subscriber base, the magnitude of the subscriber base, the status of the operator, and the fact that they consider smart signal boosters to be an important element in their overall sort of headnet of future current and future offering. Um, all our products are powered by a um, proprietary processor that we've developed over the past sort of six years. And really what that does is provide a carrier grade caliber of product and a Cellfi safe <laughs> consideration, um, meaning that we're always safe as a contributor to any coverage solution, irrespective of how complex it may be. Um, generally speaking, we're regarded as the product with the largest footprint um, by far uh, compared to the industry norm. And that's sort of substantiated uh, by an FCC dispensation, which we can probably discuss um, during this, uh, during this uh, chat uh, if, if, if the need arises. So in essence, that's the caliber of our product. And, uh, and really our primary focus in life is therefore to go out and, and alleviate all the black and gray holes of coverage that exist outdoors and indoors. And that has been our focus since the founding of the company in 2006. Okay, and you know, I, I just uh, returned to Austin from the uh, HetNet Expo uh, down in Los Angeles, and it's uh, one of those situations where it, the more people you ask, uh, what do you consider a, a HetNet, the more different definitions you receive. So can you give me an idea from Nextivity perspective, what a HetNet is and, and how a uh, smart signal booster fits into that equation? Uh, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, in our context, a headnet really is wireless specific. So you would define it as a, as a wireless network uh, with a severely complex interoperability or interrelationship between various elements um, in the network. And those elements classically would be the macro network, um, uh, obviously small cells, uh, DAS systems, smart signal boosters, and Wi-Fi contingent contingent pieces. And obviously the operators that um, provide the best user quality uh, or quality experience really are those that have the most 
or the richest um, profile or toolbox uh, as far as HetNet offerings or elements is concerned. Um, if one looks at, at networks today, these elements that I've already mentioned have sort of become de rigueur uh, in many ways. And we now see in addition to things like smart signal boosters, Wi-Fi elements, DAS and small cells, um, and of course the macro network, we do see satellite beginning to uh, find uh, a place in, in, in the sort of 4 and 5G implementations of today and tomorrow. Legacy repeaters uh, is an interesting consideration. Um, they philosophically and practically are quite incompatible with, um, <clears throat> with, a, with a classic ethnet network or even definition. And the primary reason for that is their tendency um, to create interference between network elements. And of course, that's the, that's the primary consideration that one needs to obviate when you joining your element with a number of elements in a network. Uh, in the case of, of our product, Cellfi, our family of products, our primary contribution is our friendliness and the fact that we provide or guarantee 100% that we won't interfere with any of the, the network elements. And, and the FCC in its federal code of regulation has given us a special place, enabling us to achieve the highest gains in our system thereby creating the largest footprints. Um, and this is clear sort of support of the fact that we're as safe as what we are to our neighbor elements uh, as, we, as, you know, as we are when we're transmitting at these higher levels or higher gain levels. Uh, if you combine that with our, <coughs> with our independent intelligence that we have, um, our sort of edge intelligence, our ability to, be, to make decisions independent of the rest of the network, um, smart signal boosters in general and cell fire specifically really are now worthy contributors to, to any headnet. So when we discuss headnet deployments, uh, maybe you can give us a, a few examples of use cases where a, a cell fi uh, product has been integrated into that network. You know, I think in many instances, when you're alleviating coverage, it's often in a disaster situation. And so classically, uh, we have shipped um, many products that have gone into disaster recovery where one's, um, you know, instantaneously going in and creating emergency coverage, as it were. Um, there are concrete structures that create masses of complexity uh, when it comes to creating uh, an even profile of coverage, for example, in parking areas. Um, and obviously enterprise or, or corporate buildings, class A, B, C type buildings that have fabric that really uh, makes it difficult for signal to penetrate. So classically those with the enterprise scenarios where what we're doing is creating a strong mobile broadband footprint so that you in fact have great data rates over wireless and you have great, great voice quality all the way down to really consumer and residential applications. So our product and classically any, any meaningful uh, SSB or smart signal booster really would fit across that breadth of profile. And, and so in sort of an enterprise use case, this seems like it, it would have huge or implications for their, uh, their CapEx in terms of uh, needing coverage but not having access to a fiber backhaul, for instance, and maybe not wanting to invest in extending that fiber line, right? Um, that's absolutely true, and 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 often often the presence 
um, requirement of our technology is governed by the absence or free availability or cost implication of having a tethered tethered backhaul. Because as you fully and properly indicate that, you know, we really are, are um, independent of backhaul requirements, although we operate with other elements that are backhaul orientated um, very, you know, smoothly, appropriately and non-interferingly. Tell me a little bit more about the actual installation of a, of a CellFi smart signal booster. What, what sort of requirements are needed to get that on air in the field? So I think uh, if you look at the development that we've done, that's really been one of the uh, key differentiators that we've uh, engineered into the smart signal boosters. Um, that's the ability for the system to be self-installed by a non-technical person in the field and irrespective of what the network situation is, the system will always operate on its own. It will figure out what the environment is like and configure itself appropriately. That, for us, that's really the definition of a smart signal booster, right? It's a signal booster that's capable uh, of doing this. Um, so I think as an example, uh, if you focus on the consumer installation uh, model that, that we have, uh, you know, if you ask people, especially in the, in the US, uh, if, you know, do you have fixed line broadband? Everyone says yes, but in reality, uh, about 27% of US consumers don't have fixed line uh, backhaul in their, in their residences. And it's not because they can't get it, it's because they've made a choice uh, to cut the cord. And you know, what we've seen, especially as LTE um, has been rolling out and the, the service levels and the quality of experience that people can get with LTE has been improving, uh, more and more people are you know, taking the, the plunge and, and cutting the cord, especially in this sort of 18 to 35 year old demographic and, you know, people are on the move all the time. They don't have, you know, they have small apartments. Um, they can get you know, 20 megabits per second using LTE on a 15 or 20 gigabyte a month data plan. So there's no real reason for them to have uh, a fixed line access. So as uh, consumers are able to, to cut the cord, um, you know, mobile network operators are clearly focused on those folks and trying to get them to, um, uh, you know, to use as much data as possible and, you know, buy the biggest bundle that they can. Um, and so in order to deliver a ubiquitous quality of experience, that's very difficult for a mobile network operator to do because of all the things that, you know, that Werner mentioned in terms of coverage uh, issues, etc. So um, I think there's been a number of studies, uh, some of them, one by Dr. Stevens and one by Ericsson, that have indicated that uh, the uh, cellular coverage and the user experience that you get due to coverage is one of the key drivers of churn uh, for a mobile network operator. So we have a, a number of customers across the globe that have launched specific programs uh, to alleviate the churn um, issues that they face through guaranteeing better coverage, right? And uh, if you look at the most successful programs that have launched over the world, uh, most of these programs actually have, you know, a head-head type of arrangement to them in that they offer uh, different ways to deal with the coverage issues. Wi-Fi calling, smart signal boosters. Uh, in the past, some have offered, you know, residential femtocells, et cetera. But the, the key part is that all of the different solutions were part of the toolbox and operators were able to, to offer them. So the case specifically of smart signal boosters, um, you know, the model is very simple, right? The consumer uh, calls up the operator, you know, says I'm going to leave uh, because I have bad coverage in my house. And traditionally, you know, there was nothing that the operator could really do about it. Today, I think that situation has changed. Um, and 
specifically it has changed also in the case where there's no backhaul available in order to provide coverage with the femtocell or in order to provide coverage with uh, with wi-fi calling right that 30 percent of people in the u.s that um you know they don't have the, the broadband access clearly if you want to keep those uh, consumers as subscribers and in those cases um, you know operators are able to offer offer them a smart signal booster and um, the way in which it normally works is you know, either the operator would just you know send the customer one of these uh, a smart signal booster for free in the mail it takes a couple of days arrives at the uh, at the consumer's home and you know you literally just have to plug the system in and it works right typical installations take you know 10 to 15 minutes um, for the system to be up and running and, and you've got a happy customer a number of our of our customers have done uh, studies you know post the installation of the smart signal boosters as well uh, to see does it actually make a difference right? is it worthwhile putting one of these devices into the customer's home and um, the follow-up study showed that in you know 90 plus percent of cases uh, the cons consumers that did get a, a smart signal booster remains a you know a happy customer of the mobile network operator you know six months twelve months eighteen months down the line um, and what what's even better is that uh, they've also checked the ARPU of the of the household basically that uh, has uh, received the smart signal booster and we've seen that ARPU rise as well as they use more services and as more sims get added and you know, all the sims in the house turn to the operator that has, uh, that has the coverage. So I think we've now, over the last, you know, five, six years, proven this model that uh, you can literally take one of these things, put it in the mail, send it out, and it truly is a, is a self-install uh, for, uh, say, a non-technical consumer. Wow. So I, I just, I don't mean to belabor it, Mikhail, but you mean that you guys offer a carrier-grade solution that I could just plug in at my house and it would work, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. The, um, you know, I think as Werner mentioned, right, the, the, the key aspect here is the, uh, the processor that we, that we develop. Um, the LTE products that we are shipping today is actually based on a, a, the third generation of our processor. And just to give you some idea, right, it's a multi-core risk processor. Uh, we have six 32-bit risk processors in there doing a huge amount of calculations in real time to ensure that it doesn't matter what this, the end user does, this system will always operate harmoniously with the network. So, you know, you can take it, you can install it right underneath the base station, right? And the base station will be fine. You can install it right at the edge of coverage and you are sure to get, you know, the best coverage in the, in the area that you can uh, because of all this, you know, the gain and the, the control algorithms, et cetera, that we have built into this product. Okay, well, I think a lot of our viewers are familiar with a, a configuration that would integrate a distributed antenna system with a small cell to perhaps fill in a coverage hole in an in-building uh, uh, space, just for example. But tell us how that type of configuration would differ from a small cell bolstered by a smart signal booster or series of signal boosters. Yeah. So it's a great question. It actually goes back to the one that you just discussed, right? The biggest difference, right, and what we are, um, in our vision, what we want to enable is self-installation so that the coverage problem can get fixed by the person who has the problem at the spot where he has the problem. If I have a, you know, a small enterprise or a branch office, you know, um, and I have a coverage issue, in our vision, we really want the IT person in that building to be able to fix the problem, right? No truck roll from the operator, you know, no complex installation, no complex um, work that you need to do, you know, to do a site survey and, 
you know, figure out, you know, what cabling you need. We don't want any of that, you know, to be part of the, even the thought process when it comes to fixing coverage in, you know, a small enterprise type of environment. So our focus really, and we think that uh, smart signal boosters can be most effective is really in those buildings that are in the 50 to 100,000 square foot range where a DAS system really, uh, you know, just is not a cost effective solution. So clearly if you have a, you know, a hospital, a campus, you know, Dallas Cowboy Stadium, whatever it is, right there, that is a, is a great solution and, you know, this, it's very hard to compete with it, right? And that's uh, definitely not the focus, you know, of our company. But in that, say, 50 to 100,000 square foot building size, right, if you were to install a, a small cell plus a DAS solution there, then you, you're talking about you know, probably in excess of $2 a square foot to get the coverage. And... Uh, we believe that if you can have a, a solution that's carrier grade but self-installable, that number drops to a tenth of the price, right? And that's really the focus of uh, uh, our work here of integrating uh, smart signal boosters together with, uh, uh, with, with small cells. Uh, so it's to enable that, that user self-installation. And in order to do that, there's a couple of things that you need to get right. You know, the first one is, is this adaptivity of the system. You need to be sure that if the IT guy installs it, right, really the thing that he knows is I've got a coverage hole here, I'm going to put something there to fix it. And I've got another coverage hole there, I'm going to put something there to fix it. He doesn't want to worry about how these systems interact with each other, you know, do they create interference, all of those sort of things you need to uh, get rid of. And the best way for you to do that is really to have one small cell that ideally the IT guy can self-install as well. And what's really, in, uh, you know, uh, Great from our point of view is that we are seeing more uh, operators around the world launching programs where we have sort of enterprise grade small cells that are uh, you know, self installable you know, by the IT person. So you, know, you can get his small cell, he plugs it into his network, and then very importantly, he knows where the coverage holes is uh, in, his, in his building. So he can take the smart signal boosters and basically just pop them down in the holes, uh, in the areas where he has coverage holes switch them on, the network will automatically configure itself. All the elements in the network would know about each other and they would cooperate to figure out what's the optimum setting that you need to have here to give you, you know, ubiquitous coverage inside of this building. So that's, that's really the vision that we have. And um, so we're launching our first uh, enterprise products um, uh, early in the new year. That's really you know, the start of enabling us to fulfill this vision sort of hand in hand with the operator's ability to have a, a complete self-installed uh, small cell solution for you know, the IT professional that's, uh, that's in the building. Okay, and so when we consider some of these uh, operator ambitions as they relate to small cell, you know, I just heard uh, Mark Ganzi say a few days ago that Verizon and AT&T between them would deploy 100,000 small cells. And then you hear about what Sprint is doing, and although they haven't confirmed every, anything, those numbers are somewhere between 50,000 and 70,000. So as we see these uh, carrier deployments go forward, what's the outlook for smart signal boosters from a business perspective? Well, what it's, it's, it's a matter of trying to overcome physics, I think, as you well know. And irrespective of what spectrum operators acquire and I think we're all conscious of the spectrum grab and, and the strategies that various operators have, the higher frequency bands versus the lower frequency bands. But the reality is that you know, physics dictates that irrespective of frequency, there's a quality and an amplitude deterioration as signals pass through 
building materials, walls, ceilings, floors. And, and I think that, is, that creates a constant challenge, uh, irrespective of what elements are being introduced into, into the network. Of course, indoor elements in a head net that alleviate pressure, capacity pressure, um, or coverage pressure, uh, like small cells, for example, are key, and as McKeel pointed out, this ability to self-employ them, deploy them rather, um, is, is a vision that's been around for a long time. It's only now probably becoming a reality. And as that happens, clearly we see a huge uptake and an upswing in, in many of the elements. Wi-Fi calling is growing at a prolific rate. You know, small cell deployments you know, look positive both uh, in the metro sense, but primarily because our business is focused on the indoor sense, um, even in the indoor environment, uh, our partnership or the cell fire smart signal booster partnership with small cells is, is a really big deal. Uh, there is no doubt that our product is designed specifically to deal with coverage. And so when we partner with a small cell, as Michiel said, we create a much bigger footprint than classically would be possible had one just deployed a, a multiplicity of small cells. And of course, the capex and opex, and primarily the opex implications of deploying multiple small cells when in fact you could deploy uh, perhaps a, uh, an economic number of small cells and a matching number of small signal boosters is so attractive that we ultimately see that a tendency that's going to grow, you know, significantly. And, you know, as Priorly previously mentioned, the reality is that we do ship to a very large portion of the world's top 20 operators. And we can see um, the pull pressure coming from them in terms of a desire to have a toolkit that's quite, uh, quite flexible and, and quite imminent in the sense that it can be readily installed. So these technologies which create a, in parentheses, self-installed environment, whether that be an IT individual or somebody of modest technical skills, certainly will drive uh, the adoption and therefore the deployment of these, of these technologies. Um, our growth and focus, um, as McKill intimated too, is in the self-organizing sense and in cloud computing. So as we roll out our self, uh, uh, a more mature version of our self-organizing intelligence and our cloud computing, um, we then also begin to be able to manage our family of network elements and enable operators and enterprises to also manage um, our elements in a far more direct and sophisticated and relevant manner. And so I think this too, uh, will drive um, adoption and therefore, uh, you know, the technology will become even more de rigueur as, uh, as I previously mentioned. I think the final stamp of, of direction, if you would, or indication of direction is really the regulators around the world. And while perhaps we're very heavily focused here on the FCC, obviously regional uh, national operators around the world themselves are beginning to focus on qualifying these various network elements, and in particular, um, smart signal boosters, because as you indicated, um, there was a time in history when they didn't really participate in, in a HetNet future, whereas today they do, and, and primarily because of their smarts, as it were. Um, the, the regulators worldwide are now promoting, adopting, and creating context around which um, you know, these technologies get deployed. So that formality in a previously sort of informal emergency mode environment is also bringing structure 
again, to smart signal boosters and therefore making them more and more worthy contributors to, uh, to the true meaning of, of, of the word ethnet. So, and you know, as 5G um, hopefully isn't upon us tomorrow because as manufacturers and developers of product, we, we want a break to be able to just exploit 4G as it were. And, and as we look to 5G, however, and its ability to deal with um, elements that serve sensors and perhaps devices that are not, that don't have human IO on them, or not sort of phone, smartphone orientated, you know, one sees that some of those will be connected through Bluetooth, some will be connected through Wi-Fi, but many will also be connected through cellular mechanisms. And of course, our, um, our strategy is to ensure that we position elements in addition to smart signal boosters uh, to encompass all of these diverse um, elements network-wise and end-user devices um, you know, that will represent the, and are already beginning to represent the sort of the 5G um, swell, if you would. Yeah, it's, it, I want to backtrack just a little bit, Werner. You made a really salient point in there uh, about the, the operational expenses associated with this. Uh, you know, some small cell products that are out in the market do have uh, varying degrees of uh, self-configuration and automation. But at some point, an RF engineer is going to have to take a look at that unit and optimize it or even, you know, tweak some of the parameters. But it, it, at no point is it plug and play. You can't just plug it in and walk off. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge implication for these sort of middle enterprises that need that level of connectivity but not, might not have the resources to really invest in something as refined as a distributed antenna system or multiple small cells. Yeah, if I can maybe uh, jump in on that. Uh, actually, a couple of years ago, uh, in, within the Small Cell Forum release 2.0, the enterprise release uh, of the Small Cell Forum uh, documents, uh, we did a study together with uh, some of the operators where we looked at um, a building and saying, well, you know, if I need to cover this building, how many small cells do I need to cover the building? And look at the capacity that all those small cells bring versus you know, the actual required capacity. And, and it was clear from that study that um, uh, you know, the two don't match up. In order to get full coverage, right, you need to bring so much capacity. And if you bring all that capacity, then you, you have exactly the problem that you mentioned, right? That how do I make sure that all of these small cells don't interfere with each other? Um, I can remember we were in a building and um, this building had, uh, I think it was 16 small cells to provide all the coverage that was needed. But when you stood at the, uh, at the elevator, I could see, you know, eight of the 16 small cells at that spot, right? So clearly that's not the way that you want to deploy a network. So um, I think that reality um, and all the experience that people have had now over the last few years with small cells in, in a smaller type of environments, that's really what's driving a, a, a different way to think about it, right? I need to bring the capacity and I need to bring that capacity with a small cell because I get to offload my network and, you know, all the good things that, um, that go with the small cells. But when I'm there, I really need to take that capacity and distribute that as far as possible. And you know, when you add the smart signal boosters as the, the coverage layer to the small cell, that's the best thing that you can do because now you have one node to manage, right? You don't have multiple nodes. You don't have to worry about handles between sectors. None of that matters, right? So essentially the way you can think about it is that you have a small cell with multiple remote antennas that are all automatically sort of changing their gains uh, to give you the coverage that you need. In that case, as I said, from a, 
a network element management point of view, it's much, much easier to do that, right? Uh, so you, you, once your, your, your small cell is up and running, you're good to go and all the optics and everything else that goes along with that, right, gets, uh, gets to be at a manageable point. So, um, you know, that, that's definitely the vision. I think it, it said, it, you know, five years ago, I think the vision was different. It was truly, well, let's install just, we can install as many small cells as we, you know, as we want. And uh, the sound system will take care of how all these things, you know, talk to each other and so on. And even today, right, there's still, you know, not that many X2 networks that, uh, you know, make small cells talk to each other. So we think that this is really, a, you know, the, the practical way and the, you know, the pragmatic way to move forward is to say, give a small cell multiple, you know, for lack of a better word, smart antennas that are out there, right, that can, you know, optimize the coverage in a, in a closed-loop fashion. It occurs to me that this would be a, a great option as some of the first net and indoor location accuracy standards come online for uh, these venues that really do need to ensure, not because a consumer needs it, but because the government requires it, that they have coverage in every corner of that building. That's going to be a, a really growing space in the next few years, right? So we're very excited about FirstNet. Um, we, you know, we obviously support the idea of uh, you know the nationwide LTE uh, network. Um, you know, we think that uh, the level of performance, etc., that, that LTE can bring to first responders is something that's that's uh, absolutely required. And um, you know, we'll see how, how things uh, roll out over the next couple of months as the as the RFP gets released. Um, but what we do believe is that you know there are going to be two critical parts I think to making FirstNet a success. I think the first one, as you say, is the ability to have you know full coverage in a building. And um, I, I think you know the best of, uh, of my knowledge, you know there are certain building codes and so on that will put a lot of pressure on building owners to provide a hundred percent coverage in a building. And there's just no way that you can go in and install you know twenty you know small cells to give FirstNet coverage in a building. It really makes no sense to do that, right? So. Um, we absolutely do believe that you know first net small cell in a larger building with a number of you know smart signal boosters attached to it is a great way to go. And more specifically, as you say, because of the smart in the smart signal booster, right, we are able to provide additional information in terms of you know not just coverage holes but also locationing and things like that that is uh, critical to you know making the first responder network uh, work. But you know, in addition to that, you know, not in building focus, right, uh, also when um, first responders on mobile, clearly they need coverage, right? It will take some time for FirstNet to uh, roll out nationwide. And, you know, as much as we roll it out, there's still going to be edge of network um, conditions. So having smart signal boosters that are, you know, mobile as well, we think that that is a great role for uh, the technology to play, um, sort of in support of that overall vision of, of, of truly a ubiquitous network. Werner McHale, I really appreciate you guys taking time to give us a, a little bit of an education in, in smart signal boosters. This really is a part of the HetNet toolkit, and it might have been overlooked by a lot of our, our regular viewers at home. So thank you for filling in that hole, as it were. Uh, Werner, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap things up? Um, I, I think we've, we've pretty much said it, other than, of course, our, our full expectation endorsed by you know, so many of the worldwide regulators now that this class of technology really will be a significant contributor to uh, net evolution over the next number of years. Well, again, thank you so much for taking a moment to share your thoughts and tell us about the work Nextivity is doing. 
To the folks at home, thank you for tuning in for previous episodes of HetNet Happenings. I'd encourage you to check out the RCR TV website. And for daily telecom and ICT news, I'd encourage you to check out rcrwireless.com. Thanks for joining us. HetNet Happenings is a production of RCR TV. To reach Sean Kinney or to suggest a show topic for HetNet Happenings, you can reach Sean at skinney at rcrwireless.com. On Twitter at Sean Kinney RCR. To find out more about the latest in HetNet and all things wireless, dig into rcrwireless.com.